Hello, I'm Rachel Zucker. Welcome to Commonplace, Conversations with Poets and Other People. This is episode 57 with poet and educator Dorothea Lasky. Dorothea Lasky is the author of several chapbooks and five full-length collections of poetry, including, most recently, Milk, just out from Wave Books. Dorothea received her MFA from UMass Amherst, her Arts in Education MA from Harvard, and a PhD in Creativity and Education from the University of Pennsylvania. In 2013, she was a Bagley Wright Fellow in Poetry. Currently, she is an Associate Professor of Poetry at Columbia University. Dorothea Lasky, or Dottie, as she is often called, is a poet I've been fascinated by for a long time. I've enjoyed reading and teaching her books and hearing her read in person. Over the years, we've been present at the same events, readings, professional dinners and parties, and I've often felt we were on the verge of becoming friends, but somehow it never quite happened. Then, a little over four years ago, we had an interaction that made me worry that we'd never become friends. I wrote about something Dottie said to me, and something I thought to say but didn't say out loud. I wrote about my jealousy and shame surrounding the interaction. A few months after writing that poem, I ran into Dottie and told her about writing it and then sent it to her. Shortly after that, I noticed she'd blocked me on Twitter, and I suspected, I can be pretty slow sometimes, that she was upset about the poem. For a long time, I didn't have the guts to ask her if she was angry. I wanted to apologize, but I wasn't quite sure how. Dottie and I were both Bagley Wright lecturers and got to spend some time together in Tucson this past February when I recorded the episode with T.C. Tolbert and the one with Richard Sykin. It was wonderful being with Dottie in Tucson. I wanted to bring up the poem, but somehow we were never alone, and I started to wonder if I'd imagined the whole thing. In June, we were both invited to a small retreat in the Berkshires to this really cool new hotel called Tourists Welcome. I vowed, when I saw her on the invite list, to ask her if she had indeed been upset about my poem all those years ago and if she was still thinking about it. Just as I got up the nerve to do so, Dottie was called back to New York City for an emergency, and I missed my chance. I had asked Dottie, while in the Berkshires, to be on Commonplace, an invitation she enthusiastically accepted. In preparing for this conversation, I read Milk, her new book, and The Thin Stapled Supplement, a 15-page essay called Why I Am Sad, that accompanied my copy of Milk. I opened Why I Am Sad, read it, and on page 9 found this. I once tried to tell a poet I barely know the story I am about to tell you, and she got so angry because her mother was dying unbeknownst to me that she wrote a long poem making fun of me and commenting on how pet people don't understand real death. Oi. This wasn't the way I remembered our interaction and not what I remembered the draft of the poem I showed her to be about, but I knew that I was the poet Dottie was describing and that if I was reading about myself in an essay titled Why I Am Sad, that my years-long fear that I had offended Dottie was accurate. 
Dottie and I talk about many things in this conversation. We talk about Dottie's voice, associational thinking, teaching, small c creativity, being only children, motherhood. You will hear me, finally, bring up this incident about an hour into the episode. We dance around the topic for a while and I wanted you to have some context. You'll hear us both talk through our feelings about the uncomfortable situation without exactly explaining what happened. It is one of the most awkward extended moments I've had on Commonplace, but I've left it in. I think it speaks to the vulnerabilities Dottie and I share but express differently. Sensitivities and insecurities that may be connected to being writers or might just be part of being human. I was hurtful and dumb, and I think that this hurtful misstep on my part is also related to the way Dottie and I over-apologize all through this conversation. I think there are forces, in addition to my blunder, that keep women like Dottie and me apart. You'll hear me explore that thinking further in a future episode with poet Kate Marvin. But back to Dottie. Dottie's work is funny, charming, moving, and sometimes brutal. Her poems are both associational and direct. They are gutsy and sonically gorgeous. I love this conversation for its intimacy and zaniness, as well as for the way Dottie talks about pedagogy and Albert Einstein. Visit commonpodcast.com for links to the organizations, people, and texts Dottie and I discuss to sign up for the Commonplace newsletter, or to become a patron. For this episode, patrons will get access to audio files of Dorothea reading poems from her book, Milk, as well as an excerpt from her B lecture, and audio of me reading the poem that I talk about in this episode. Patrons will also be entered in a raffle that includes Lasky's fabulous books, Awe, Black Life, Thunderbird, and Milk, all courtesy of Wave Books, Rome, courtesy of Liverite, an imprint of W.W. W. Norton, and Matter, a picture book, courtesy of Argos Books, and a very special individualized exercise from Dottie to one patron. Please do consider becoming a patron if you can. It's patron support that makes Commonplace possible. If you can't afford to become a Commonplace patron, please mention us on social media, write us an iTunes review, and recommend us to friends and students. Also, please know how much we cherish the emails, tweets, and voice messages you send us about what you enjoy about Commonplace, why you listen, where you listen, who you listen with. Thank you all. And now, here is Dorothea Lasky. Okay, pull the mic clo- a little bit closer to you. Yeah, that's great. Okay, okay how does that feel? Does sure, it feel yeah. too? No, okay. no, 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 totally great. Okay. I always have, yeah, I don't want to say always have. I mean, not like this is happening a lot, but when there's like a microphone, I always push it back because my voice is so loud. I mean, I'm, uh-huh. I hope I'm not talking too loud now. But no, you're not. Okay, yeah, because I've been getting in trouble for having a loud voice a lot lately. Or always, but particularly lately, I don't know. But I'm talking softly right now can can we start with that (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, for some reason, okay, now I'll be louder, but for some reason, I've always kind of gotten in trouble for having a, you know, a loud voice. Uh-huh. Um, actually, it kind of, I have like a memory, this is like maybe 10 years ago about being um, in Philadelphia at a uh, vegetarian Chinese restaurant, and I was playing Kill, Mary Fuck, which is a poem, you know, in the book. Yeah. Um, like with some friends or something like that, and I guess I was loud, and there was like an older couple sitting near me kind of giving dirty looks and um and this other person came over and he was like you your voice really projects and he's like and the things you say are really not appropriate you know for everyone in this restaurant because i guess it sounded like i was saying you know i want to marry ellen degeneres or well or maybe i was saying i want to fuck this person Uh yeah but i was it was just like part of the game but recently, yeah, actually, it was in the library yesterday, but in the hallway, uh-huh. um, talking on the phone, and I got in trouble. I mean, someone was just like, you're so loud, and and I was reading last, I gave a reading last week, and um, some people in the audience um, were real, said I was so loud, it was hurting their ears, Wow. and, um, and actually, on my birthday, I went out um, to dinner, sorry that you weren't there, okay. <laughs> sorry to everyone <laughs> listening okay. that they weren't there, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, it was around here, it was like, um, it wasn't at Blossom, but it was uh-huh. at another vegan restaurant around here, just to, you know, keep with the theme, yes. and, um, and there, yeah, a, an older woman um, came up to me and said, you're, you're so loud, I can't eat, Wow. So now that's like, I feel it, but it always is an older woman that is telling me my voice is too loud. You know, and I could, I mean, older than me. Right, know? right. Yeah. It's and, a- and, and was this an issue for you as a kid or did, did you always have a loud voice? I don't think of it as loud. Yeah. I mean, actually growing up, people, well, not, yeah. At a certain point, people were always kind of on my case that my voice was so high. Huh. You know, that your voice is so high. Why is your voice so high? I don't really think of it as that high. But yeah, so it is maybe a theme related to all of this. I don't know. <laughs> and do you think that is fascinating? Because I, you know, there's so many things about you that I appreciate so much. And, uh, you know, in addition to your poetry and, you know, your your artistic presence in the world. One of them is your laugh. Oh, okay. Which is, which I would not... Don't tell that lady trying to eat. I guess it makes people nauseated or something. Well, I, don't it's, know. It's, I find it to be, like, totally exuberant and alive and, like, joyful. And I associate, you know, you and your aesthetic, in a way, um with a kind of like um it's not loud to me it's a, it's present it's like alive that's the word i keep thinking of mm-hmm. like you know um i love that you wear amazing clothes and Thanks. the best earrings the best like no yes you do you i, I mean I yeah think you understated do. yeah but you but I, okay but yeah. I would well right yeah. now you're more understated than usual but yeah. I don't think understated is a word that anyone would use to describe you Th- that's true yeah right. I don't yeah I don't so, think so so I guess my question is <laughs> how does does is this part of your identity or have you or is is the negative feedback that you've gotten for something that I think is incredibly wonderful um does that affect your writing? Does it affect your sense of like speaking or writing into the world? 
Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting because like I did get I did feel affected when um, I was reading and the people said, you know, you're hurt. One woman said you're hurting my ears. (laughs) So you don't want to think you're like hurting someone, you know, that I mean, obviously, yeah, I'm not like a violent you know i'm not a sadistic person i wouldn't say i'm not violent but (laughs) yeah so it's um yeah so i immediately was like oh i'll try to quiet down i didn't have like the instinct to be like fuck off even though maybe part of me was Uh thinking that but i wasn't like gonna like perform that anger or something so yeah so it was um i you know kind of did sort of quiet down it did get me thinking that it was happening often is your um identity as a writer or your choice to become a writer in part like you can't I mean I'm also struck by you saying that the in the restaurant the person said well you you know your voice is so loud and what you're saying is inappropriate Mm, you know in in poetry in writing you can say and I'm so glad you do uh, what some people might think of as inappropriate. I have an extremely high <laughs> inappropriate bar. bar. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't find it inappropriate. I feel like it's like, yes, yeah, somebody needed to say that. Sorry, I'm shaking. No, the no, table. it's I'm. You're yeah. not. You're very apologetic, but you you you've started. You you the table. You're fine. <laughs> I don't know if that makes like a weird. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Okay, so, but anyway. So my question is, do you think that? becoming a writer in part was so that you could say inappropriate things at whatever volume you chose and it wouldn't hurt someone it wouldn't hurt their ears or or if it did fuck you yeah if it did you could not you know read it or whatever I think I think that is true I mean I started writing poems when I was like seven you know right really little it may have even happened before then but that's when I sort of remember you know writing in a book and it was um, my parents put me to bed later than I would have wanted I'm not like a night owl at all now I'm like a morning person but I obviously just it was like 10 and I and I still was like this is way too early so I would stay up writing in the dark and um it just I think that poems were good because they were not anything that had rules you know so I could write into a notebook and um not worry that that anyone was like looking I mean I was really like writing in the dark so there were no like there there should be a comma or that's spelled wrong or that matters it was totally like an intuitive um thing and so yeah I think that that is connected you know that it was like um I wasn't necessarily somebody who was like confrontational and as a child or whatever I didn't I actually I mean this is a way I think about it that I didn't have any friends you know I was very much like an outcast and um that's how that's how I felt and it probably was really true so I just saw that as like a way to communicate without having to deal with the repercussions of actually communicating with people you know in person and dealing with their reactions if it were bad or good or whatever just which I always saw as kind of unnecessary you know what I mean like a person-to-person thing always exhausted me if it was like a conflict or something. Right. Yeah. And then you also didn't have to deal with anyone saying to you, you're talking to too many people, you're staying up too late, you're yeah. you're breaking the breaking you're breaking the rules in writing in a in a form where that's 
expected. Yeah. And I, and I do really believe that like, um, I'm teaching a summer class and this came up actually just like last class where, where people are kind of like trying to, Oh, there should be a comma here. And then somebody else was like, Oh, there aren't rules in poetry. And I was, and I was like, yeah, you know that, okay, this is like the whole point. I'm glad this is happening in this class where for a lot of the, the summer class, a lot of the people aren't necessarily like that familiar, you know, with poetry. So it's like a great opportunity to kind of, yeah, tell them that or something. Yeah. Where where are you teaching? Oh, I'm teaching at Columbia. No, yeah. yeah, I mean, but it's the summer exciting. program yeah. it also is there. Uh, yeah. you know, I think I wonder. We'll talk in a little bit about like how we know each other and stuff. But yeah. like, I I feel like part of our affinity. Um, is based on some things that we couldn't have really known about each other. But like I, 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 I started writing um, like really seriously <laughs> in fifth grade. I'd written like other stuff, yeah. um, but I in very much total outcast um, and very much out of a sense of having been told by everyone that I was a bad writer, yeah. which was because I was a bad speller and a ba- I had bad handwriting. And Me too. I had awful. Horrible. I always failed handwriting. I couldn't. And, and, and my spelling was so bad at that point that I could often not make sense of what I had written. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when poetry first came was like presented to me I uh, understood it from the beginning as the place where like nobody could tell you you were wrong yeah and so it's really interesting to me and I don't know how you deal with this like you know there's a lot of people in the world who who love poetry because they feel that there are more rules and 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 more craft requirements than any other form of of communication and that to be like a rigorous good amazing poet that you have to be you know not necessarily rule following but like this this craft 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 and I'm not against craft but there I always feel like there's a way in which it's like used sometimes like a bludgeon yeah well, yeah, I mean, when I think of, you know, without even in my mind, like, imagining who you could be talking about, I really am not like, oh, it has to be this person, uh-huh. but but I'm just, I want to, like, say, not to be the armchair psychologist, like, what I want to say to the person, like, what are you hiding from? Yes, you know, yes. What, what, what are you what, afraid what's of? What's making you so nervous that you have to feel that way? Because it just does seem like the most obvious thing that that's how new language gets created I mean I feel like that everybody knows that and and if you're into that but I want to say you know if you're into that that's great but I think that that people have a tendency to use it as like a power thing you know and it becomes this thing that always happens the dichotomy between like um, rational and the irrational and associative thinking and like really kind of you know linear thinking where um, people want to believe if I if I'm like a good there's like a moralistic tendency if I'm like a good person you know and um like go about this path and do like what I'm supposed to do it's kind of puritanical American way of thinking about stuff if I'm like on time and do what I'm supposed to do then I'll like then I'm the best poet which is really like crazy you know what I mean because that that has not because like anything that has nothing to do with it sadly I mean work is important you want to like be rigorous but that's not really I don't really value that kind of thinking I guess you know like I value associative thinking Mm -hmm. and I value creativity I think 
not that there should be like a hierarchy of thinking, but I think creativity should at least be equal to like other kinds of thinking that people have. So, and I also, I agree with everything you said so deeply, and there's also a, a real gatekeeping, you know, yeah. quality to this kind of fear. I think, I think the fear for people who are like very deeply attached to a certain kind of view of poetry that it's like craft based and you have to work at it and you have to like get better in this certain way is like, you know, well, anybody could do it. You know, like writing, writing doesn't require skills. And so it's like a, like if, if we say that you can't really be a writer unless you can write a Petrarchan sonnet, yeah. you know, 50 times and, you know, do this or whatever. But I guess, the, so the question I would ask you and kind of myself too is how do you in your own work and also as a teacher know when something is good? And how do you how do you make something better, or what words do you use if they're not good and better to have a sense that like this is uh, rigorous work in in a in a creative, associative, rule breaking, open way? Yeah, I think the standard is kind of obsession. Mm. You know, I think that like that that's a thing that's hard in a classroom because. I have actually, I mean, I say this, but I have very severe, if I were really truly saying what I th think, you know, and when you're teaching, it's really, it takes so much energy to not say exactly what you think. Cause when I say, ex when I'm thinking exactly what I think, it's absolutely ruthless mm. and cold. And I have like an absolute opinion that, that like this whole thing sucks, you know, mm -hmm. but, but obviously would never want you know, that that's the whole point. You want someone to be on a path. And I'm glad really no one has ever said that to me. Or I mean, they have in various ways, but they've never been like that brutal in a class or something, mm -hmm. which would have probably, you know, hurt me in some way or made me work harder. Who knows what would have happened? But <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be that person, you know, in the person's life. And so it is kind of thinking about, you know, that the obsession that they have and the like kind of obsess obsessive like attraction that the group has you know and like it is like about thinking that like I, I do believe in the workshop model I, I think it is good because it's like you have this group of people they're gonna have opinions and you can say everybody in here is not my reader and that's fine but now you know what you know eight people think and that to me is the way that you kind of create an obsessive you know um like opinion about what should happen in your work you know that because it is like as frequent as possible you get information and I think that that's what's lucky about being published is that you have you know opinions is is does everybody hate this do they hate it like vehemently do they just not care because mm. they're bored you know like all that is such important information to figure out how you should write and like you know what you want your work to be and that to me is like the best um, kind of test or whatever the other way feels laughable to me like I want to laugh at someone that would think that a really good poet has to know every you know can write a hundred Petrarchan sonnets or whatever that that just seems so silly to me and so okay so let's say you're sitting in your class and someone's got a poem and you read the poem and um you're having that thought, which is just like, oh my God, I hate this. This is total failure. I, I yeah, can't find just anything. Like, or not even fail, not failure. Cause I do believe like everything's good. And I do, you know, I do believe at any 
I mean, I really, um, I love, you know, I love uh, preschool pedagogy. Mm -hmm. And I especially love someone, um, Carlina Rinaldi, who's part of like the Reggio Emilia pedagogy. And there are certain, you know, schools that do that. And it's nothing new, but it's just the idea that in educational settings, we tend to want to think, I, as the powerful person, I'm going to pour this knowledge into you because you were born, you know, lacking or something. Mm. You were you're like, that's my point. You're born lacking and I have the knowledge. Somehow I got it at like some fancy school and I'm going to pour it into you. And that's like our exchange. And it's like this kind of cold, you know, comp exchange based on commerce. Like you paid for me to pour this in your head at whatever age you are or something. But um, or the government did or whatever. But um, but I, that's kind of the belief that she has or this pedagogy has that everybody is born whole you know with things to bring to the table or bring to whatever they're doing and they come you know it's like kind of finding what they're supposed to do which may have an interaction to the skills they were born with it's like it's an interaction between the world and them and everything like that and maybe I was like meant to be a great dancer which I do believe you know I was meant to be like a ballerina or something or an actress or something like exciting but it just didn't turn out that way and so you know but but I still brought to the world like important stuff and so I think like in a class like you have to take that into account even as you're having those feelings like this poem sucks so you kind of have that's why you have to yeah figure out how to kind of say it or something like that with that belief you know that that this person has come here with as a whole thing that is like here to teach me something too or whatever you want to say yeah for sure and so what what kinds of things do you say in those moments? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I might give them exercises or mm -hmm, something, mm -hmm. you know, like that feel like connected to what they're interested in. Or um, I think that I always tend to, and this may be a boring thing to do, but I always tend to try to kind of um, say something funny or that is like kind of weird or surreal to break them out of the thinking of this like particular poem or mm, you know so mm -hmm. if it's like if there's something that it feels like it's expected you know um then i try to break free of that something that people always do which i know is like part of the writing a contemporary poem or just in general is you know they put the title and then they put in the poem usually in the penultimate place so that's uh -huh. like a common thing to try to use like some kind of humor to break them out of that or something <laughs> you know wow. it, instead of being like you're just doing this because you've seen people do this you know and and it doesn't work and this sucks because it it so very rarely works but people do it and there's all kinds of reasons they do it because they want the reader, you know, to remember it and create that familiarity. Oh, I remember that image or whatever. Uh huh. So anyway, yeah. Sorry so, if you've done that. Oh but God. you know when people do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah It's like yeah, a common yeah. thing. It's like, here's the daffodils again. Right, or right, right, right. I <laughs> yeah, mean, we've been know, waiting I, for the daffodils. Yes, so the I'm so end. sad. I'm so sad. This <laughs> happened, that happened. Oh, there's the daffodils. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I think... Um, uh, it's interesting because it was actually my mom who, who a long, long time ago gave me this advice uh, to cut my last line and make it the title. Oh, I love that. And yeah. it often worked. Yeah. And I do find myself, again, I do not like the idea that there are rules in poetry or whatever, but I just read um, a former student's manuscript um, you know, which I hope is going to be her first book. And, it, you know, she's, she's, she's fantastic. 
but I noticed how often I was suggesting that she cut her last lines, yeah. not necessarily make them the title. Um, so I think we all have, you know, I would never say that's a rule. Yeah. You know, why would you always cut your last line? That's crazy. But I do think that we all have like habits or tendencies. And sometimes like, I think sometimes the goal of teaching is to help someone go so far into their habit and into their tendency to not be ashamed of it, to not, to like go, to go all the way there yeah. to their kookiest, weirdest, strangest, even if it's the most annoying part of them. Yeah. And then other times I feel like it's really, you know, the goal is to, is to kind of gently um, say like, you know, oh, you're always writing poems about this, you know, or, you know, there's never any people in your poem, like, just as a just for one time, and then give an exercise, that's kind of the opposite of what they're doing. Because I do also think that sometimes people are doing what they're doing as a defense against the kind of poem that they really want to write and yeah. need to write and they're writing the opposite of that poem i think that's so true yeah it's interesting because i do that a lot and then when i do it in class i feel like oh i always give this advice but it's very similar that like the end of a poem i all i very often tell people to start with it yeah. because it is it is true that people have a tendency I think it's just kind of the domination of fiction and and narrative and linear not making them I don't mean that fiction's the devil I just mean you know that they kind of are like you know like what's this poem about and where am I gonna go so they kind of start off with like setting or mm -hmm. they like want to let you know exactly what's happening which is all positive but then to they get to the real heart of the poem and it is like telling them no you should start with the heart because I'm not gonna read the setting if I don't care you know I, I don't I'm not interested in the setting it's like pictures of landscapes or something but I do also think that sometimes there's a kind of structural um thing about like what happens at the end of that certain kind of poem that is uh gendered it to me it feels like this is the way poems were written for a very long time or this is the way that poems got appreciated and it feels very um ejaculatory yeah no you know, i like, totally it's like agree yeah there's like the epiphany yeah. or the like the 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 you know like the money shot yeah comes at the very end of the yeah. poem and or the penultimate because yeah. that's like the that would be like the most exciting thing mm -hmm. before the money shot because yeah. then the money shot could be anything yes and there's really no pressure on the money shot because yeah it's the it's like right before and that's so that's usually where they put like the heart of the poem or something right and so what yeah. happens if you put it at the beginning or in yeah. the middle or what if there's like three moments like that yeah. or what if it like goes on a really long time and there's no moment like that or what if like I mean I just yeah. think it's like a really interesting thing to think about you know you know where we put the heart of the poem or where or how we get there or you know okay anyway I want to go back to something you said earlier yeah because you talked about obsession yeah oh I also wanted to say yeah. one of the you said affinities but I think we're both only children Oh, I didn't know yeah, you were an so, only child. Because, yeah. Cause, yeah uh, that changes everything. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> now I'm picturing you writing alone. Yeah. And it's very different than, than other people. Yeah. yeah. It's really, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up, yes. you know. And we do, and the only children, I think we're great. I mean, but it really, but it did produce like a pressure in me to not 
have an only, you know, to try to yes. not make more only children. Because I do feel like it is kind of a burden also. as a, You know, all the energy is like, has been put on us. Because I just, I knew that, I knew the dark side of that. Yeah. Even though it is like, I was so lucky. Because yeah. like every, when you think about distribution of resources, like I had, you know, all the attention, all the everything. Mm-hmm. Which is like a great gift, obviously, but. So I ended up, um, this is something I also wanted to talk to you about, but um, my my lectures ended up taking like such a strange turn, but one of them, which I kind of feel like is like the heart of, of the book, really ended up, much to my surprise, I thought I was just writing about photography and like, oh, I'm interested <laughs> in photography, but it really ends up at the end being about being an only child and particularly about the feeling of not having a witness to your life other than your parents and and that wasn't really a satisfying witness and feeling exactly like you say really all alone and not feeling like sure that I exist even sometimes and so seeing my like drive to make art as part of a way of like witnessing my own life and my own self and um, I don't think I understood that until recently like I don't think you know, like I told the story over and over again about poetry and breaking the rules and like, you know, a social alienation and being an outcast. And those things are true, too. Um, but I think I think maybe the combination of, of, of that, because I didn't have a best friend either. Yeah. OK, you mentioned obsession. Yeah. And I didn't I know that I'm going to like re-listen and I'm going to be like, why didn't you go back and ask yeah. her about obsession? So I'm going to ask you. Yeah. So you, you were saying that like obsession is a really important thing in poetry yeah. and in the classroom. And in any kind of learning. Yeah. So, so t- can you okay. say more about yeah. that? I do. I think, you know, like obsession is part of like the, our, our fear of obsession is part of our fear of like associative thinking mm. is part of our fear of creativity because it feels like it goes out of control and does just like what you're talking about. It's like our fear of um, madness, mental illness, what it would be like to lose our minds. But I, I mean, I'm a believer. We don't have any control of our minds anyway. You know, I mean, we're only using one part. The rest of us doing all kinds of stuff. We have we really have no control. I feel like once you think that because I used to be more scared of the idea of like losing my mind but I feel like once I came to terms with that it didn't seem frightening Mm. to me it's like more frightening actually to be there and sort of have control of your mind (laughs) you know what I mean because it's like I feel like anyway this a whole nother conversation but um okay obsession so I think yeah I think obsession is related to any kind of um creativity or learning and I kind of see creativity and learning as be as being so much more tied together than the way we you know space it out and I know for myself that if I'm not obsessed with something it just doesn't matter and I think that you you know, we all have that. And when we have a tendency, you know, when someone's obsessing about something to call it unhealthy or to say that they need to kind of like distribute their energy or their thought processes to like multiple things. So if like if somebody's really into cows, you know, and we've all seen that, you know, somebody's really into cows and they start collecting cows. They like do they just love cows. There's cows everywhere. People get them cows. They're like wearing cows. We have a tendency to think that there's something wrong with that person. But I think of that person as like the artist, you know, because they're willing to let themselves love something so much that they're like spending 
putting all their mental <clears throat> energy into the thing. And that to me is like the only way poetry can happen. You know, you, you have to be, you have to be, a, or poetry or anything creative. And if you don't let that happen, if you don't let yourself be obsessed, you're kind of maybe lost before you began. I don't want, you know, th that like that's the tool that's important. And it doesn't mean this, it doesn't mean like a scary thing. It's like the, it's the idea that when you're doing a research paper, the thing that you really want to find out about, you're willing to go anywhere to get this information and to realize all the information in the library is constructed in a certain way and you're not going to get to the real answer. You know, that, that's like the detective or whatever. That really is like the scientist. You know, that's like a real sense of science, not the way we make it you know, in an educational setting where it's like, I have my very neat hypothesis and do this. It's like, I want to figure out how this thing works. And it's like, it is based on creativity. It's based on emergence, you know, like there's that famous story of, about Einstein that thought of like, he thought of the theory of relativity in a dream or something, you know, it, but it's not like every day he was just like, you know, oh, what about the color yellow or what, you know what I mean? He was like thinking, he was obsessed mm -hmm. and he couldn't have said, you know, if I do point two, three, four, I'm going to get to this great theory. If he did that, he never would have realized it. It's just he was willing to let himself be obsessed with something that interested him. And, and he was lucky that somehow the world let that happen, whereas we do so much to make sure that doesn't happen. Because I think we're, we are scared of that. We're scared of new ideas. We're scared of not having control of people, you know, and, and, and that people realizing how creative they each are, that, that the world might look differently, it might not, who knows, but I think that we're always going to be scared of that. Because it feels like chaos, and, and we have a tendency to think chaos is like evil, but I don't, I think there's like a form of chaos which is good, you know, which is like morally good or something. Because, but that's like a certain kind of whatever view of people that that they wouldn't do a bad thing if given the choice and I kind of do think that I think I think I kind of think all people would do the the good the positive thing like the caring thing the empathetic thing if given a choice if if the world supported them for who they are that they wouldn't that the reason they choose the bad thing is because the world has not given them that choice yeah because to me, it feels very um, similar to um, reading about child development and early education. And you have a degree in education. Yeah. So how much of this <laughs> came out of that study and or how much of your decision to um, get the degree in education came out of already thinking about the world in this way and and then wanting to you know be more in the midst of people who you know believe in emergence and and uh, a, a kind of basic like goodness of humanity yeah um yeah I think well I I did have oh no it's just a Sephora alert so <laughs> I didn't I, and I didn't it didn't buzz okay yeah <laughs> I get those a lot I gotta yeah. turn that off but yeah I don't want to yeah plug Sephora because but I do yeah I'm like a yeah compulsive um, shopper just put it that way yeah <laughs> anyway of makeup but, in particular um of 
anything beautiful. Like, ah. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like fashion stuff. Yeah, n- not necessarily makeup, but I'm just like a frustrated visual artist without skill or talent. So it manifests itself in like, oh, this thing is already this color, so I can just buy it and have it or uh-huh. covet it. Yeah, it's probably it's part of a obsessive thought process. I think. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah. Okay. Oh, what, oh. Well, I um, when I was in college, I wanted to be a child psychologist, mm-hmm. and I like majored in psychology. And Me I too. Yeah. And um, I went to yeah one of the um professors that I had, and he was like, you you'll never get into a doctoral program in psychology. He's like, it's so it's harder than medical school. Well, actually, I. I went to college with like a science scholarship because I wanted to be a child psychiatrist. Mm. Like I was like, I'm going to go to medical school. But but that, you know, quickly I just started writing poems and, you know, it was just like I wasn't good at the classes. So that, you know, so I was like, oh, I'll be a child psychologist. And he was like, this will never work. You're never going to make it. What or something. jerk. Although yeah. I'm glad in yeah. some ways, but I'm like, I'm not I glad he said that to you. Yeah. yeah so, um, so I went to MFA school, which I had already gotten into into but I was like kind of like should I pursue this other thing I worked in his lab too it was like a memory lab and so it was um yeah so I you know whatever but uh he didn't see like the spark in me he was probably right obviously no yeah (laughs) but then you know yeah after but it always um created this tension in me where I felt really selfish being a poet and there was just no way that was going to be like what I did you know I didn't it wasn't even thinking of the economics of like you you know you can't make money at it you know what I did for a living or so it wasn't even that part it was just like this is not what I'm going to devote my life to because it's so narcissistic and self-centered and this this would be really crazy to do that so I think part of the reason of doing the education degrees is I had like I started you know adjuncting after getting my MFA and immediately saw which I had always known because I went to a really great public school K through 12 it was amazing um fantastic you know like college preparatory and like I learned Latin all that there was like a um there was a kiln because we had this great 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 um pottery teacher Mr. Bassman or whatever Mm. anyway so like where uh, was this it was in St. Louis Uh yeah so um so it was like a great district but even then I realized the inequities because we would have partnerships with other schools and we'd go and do like physics experiments because I was like in the physics club or something and I was I would get into the school I'd be like this isn't right Mm. this isn't fair you know what I mean like they don't have the same tools Mm -hmm. so I think like um yeah like when I was teaching in schools after MFA I saw this it reignited the same thing like that like these students are artists and they've been put into schools and there's no one supporting them there's no one keeping them in school there's no one saying like their ideas are worthwhile so I have to help them I have to find out some way to infiltrate the system and work for the DOE and change like ed policy or something like that. And that was like what I was going to do. So that's why I sought out all those degrees. It mm. never worked out. I mean, I want to say never, cause I'd like to think that I'll continue to do that, but that was like kind of, you know, kind of the spirit behind doing it is that I, I wanted to do that. You know, so I wait, wanted, you, yeah. So you, after college, you went and got an MFA. Was there time in between? No. So you went right to, and th- this is weird. Okay. And then, <laughs> and then when did you decide to go back to school again? Um, it was probably, I, I started two years later. So uh-huh. there was like a, you know, like a year where I was like, 
seeing students or what, mm -hmm. you know, I like saw the same. I mean, it was like at a college level, like I worked at like a for-profit arts college. Uh -huh. So that was particularly painful to me because I saw, okay, these are students that are artists. They've been funneled into this school, but this isn't really the, I, I was like trying to be optimistic. Maybe this will work out and they'll, you know, get professions as artists. But I realized the, you know, that this wasn't a great situation either. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was and like so, a, and yeah. I'm sorry. And so, um, I, and forgive me for not remembering. Yeah, so sorry, you, sorry. No, no I'm did sorry. You, that's like wait, I need to personal go, history. I need I guess to work in a memory lab. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so wait, do you have a, a master's degree in education? And a doctorate. And a doctorate. Yeah. Wow. At different places. Oh. Yeah, so I went, yeah, so I went, I have a master's in arts and education. I should call education. you Dr. Lasky. Well, no, because it's just an EDD, as they would say. <laughs> That's not, but anyway, but um, yeah, but like, uh, I have a master's in arts education and this program, and it's amazing. So I would love if poets went to this program. Um, yeah, there's like What's two, it called? Um, it's like, well, it's arts and education. It's at Harvard's Graduate School of Education, and it's like a master, it's a one-year master's. It's run by um, Stephen Seidel and Shari Tishman. If they're still, I, yeah, I think they're the people still doing it. And they're fantastic. And um, it was just like, it was like such a life-changing experience. You know, it happens very fast. So even, you know, you can't be too unhappy like you can in an MFA program. <laughs> right, right. You don't have really time to be unhappy. And it's just, it's like... Um, yeah, just it, it's like for artists and it's all artists, it's not just poets, visual mm -hmm, artists, mm -hmm. whatever. Sorry, I'm selling this program. <laughs> no, but, it's um, awesome. Yeah. And and um, so it's like, you know, theater there. I had like one of my friends, there was a dancer, all this stuff. And it's just about, you know, kind of learning how arts education, how you can take it to whatever your practice is. It's like for practitioners or something. So it is like people might and they don't really work in government but you know you could ostensibly but more like if you're going to be an arts educator you could have this you know so i mean obviously this deeply informs your teaching and your yeah. thinking had you published a book of your own poetry before going to this program no no so yeah. so your books are also how, how if if you can um articulate it like, what do you, th how do you think your books are, are different because you had this experience of thinking about, like, how art is taught? I wanted to write um, poems that were for, you know, everyone. I guess it, it affected my word choice a lot. <laughs> it affected, like, the way that I spoke or what was in the poems where I didn't want to obscure anything, you know, from anyone that might not know, like, a certain word or something like that. It became, like, an ethical thing, writing the poems. Like it, it, and, I, and then I had, like, an audience to write to that, that I didn't really have, that was like kind of nebulous to mm -hmm. me. And it was always like the future audience, the future reader that's gonna, you know, be alone in their bedroom and need me. So that's like always been part of it, but it also was like, and then there's these people alive now that I want the poems to be a potential friend to, if possible. You know, I, just to go back for one second to make a connection between two things, okay, I understand that that person in the restaurant <laughs> yeah. or that woman <laughs> was like, oh, it's too loud. I don't want to hear this. But, you know, I think there's also an enormous generosity of speaking up and yes, being yeah. able to be heard. And think about the, the you know, I, I, 
mumbling yeah and whispering yeah um especially um and a certain kind of it is connected i feel sometimes i mean sometimes someone just really physically doesn't have an ability to project but but there is a certain kind of like um esoteric impossible to understand and impossible to hear kind of poetry or poet which yeah. i find incredibly annoying I, yeah, I mean, I just think, I mean, I, again, it's like, do it, do your thing, whatever. I just don't think that they should have, like, a judgment of what, you know, I would do. Right. Because, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. There's, like, something really annoying. And I used to think very unethical mm-hmm. about it. Like, I, I used to be more angry at that, like... Like, you're just a snob, you're, you're actually, this is, yeah, like, the whispering becomes an elitism, but, but now I'm more like, if they want to do it, then that's okay, you know, Mm -hmm, whatever, mm -hmm. I just don't think they should judge other people, I guess, I mean, it sounds like I'm being, you know, overly goody two-shoes about it, but I, I guess I've, yeah, like, thought, I used to get more annoyed, and now I'm just like, whatever, you know. Right. Okay. Read something from Milk. Okay, okay. I, I, w- I kind of want you to read Fuck, Mary Kill. Okay, home. sure. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Kill, Mary Fuck. Well, maybe it should be Fuck, Mary. Well, oh, anyway. Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 it should. Actually, I cha- Yeah. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Kill, Mary Fuck. It's a game have you ever played one for each. I'll start. Jack Nicholson in The Shining, Jack Nicholson in One Flew, Jack Nicholson in his bathrobe, it's blue. Kill Mary Fuck, Amy Winehouse, James Merrill, Freddy Krueger, goodbye. Kill Mary Fuck, Ellen DeGeneres, Ellen DeGeneres' personal assistant, Phil Collins, Ashton Kutcher, a rainbow, my rapist, and Big Bird. Yeah, I'd fuck them all, but only Ellen DeGeneres and only in that sailor suit. Okay, one more. Kill, Mary fuck. The postman and isosceles triangle. My eggs. I mean my ovaries. Sunday afternoon in the park with eggs. Not my ovaries. Wait, hold on. Do you want me? I want fish. A shining magenta clownfish. The taste of milk sweeter than a cow. Jacking you off in the yellow chair with too many dressers. Kill, Mary fuck, all of it and none of it with you. None of it with you or Charlie Sheen. Bill Clinton, your leg in the air, flopping in time. The dream of the unrecited. Me in the bathroom and everything with serial killers, with daffodils. You going down on me in the back of a cab. Me shampooing your head with pine. No, you hate oral sex, my breasts, oil on your head. 20 seconds, 40 seconds. 60 seconds, 60 years later, a bomb of women, an entire country of women, two women in the countryside, a pale green tapestry, washed white by the seashore, the world. Kill Mary Fuck, a white star, the red dwarf. Time, I'd fuck time, I'd marry red, I've married anything. Holy, holy matrimony, fiesta wear, I'd kill them all, I have. Holy, holy day, the day that she was born, the intensity of birth, the incessant witch. It's over, so over, it never began. 
Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson. Kill, Mary fuck. All of it, all of it, or Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, whatever there is to do, I do it to you. The yellow kitchen, a knife, a veil. Jack Nicholson in your blue robe, I do it, all of it, for you. Awesome. Awesome. I, I was just watching, yeah, Jack Nicholson videos from the 80s and interviews, and I, he is amazing. I really think so. I mean, he's just so, char- he's just like has so much charm. Anyway, and The Shining is my favorite movie. Actually, what, yeah, when you were talking earlier about being an only child, last night I was watching the scene where um, Danny, like, um, goes to find the twins i don't know you you know that movie or yeah but i'm scared of being scared okay okay this won't hopefully well this this part is scary because i've seen it so much Uh like i'm not you know scared but i was watching it and i was like this is so scary um because he's going through the hotel and his bike and he's an only child you know Mm -hmm. which i'm just realizing now but the kind of perspective you're like right behind him and you're watching him and he comes to the you know twins and at the end of the hallway and they're like will you play with us you know forever and ever and you see them that they've been murdered and they're so creepy Mm. because you know they're ghosts you know they have this knowledge beyond like what a living person would have and so there's something in that power but it is so much about being alone and not having a witness because if he you know had had somebody else you know that would be like danny where are you you know what i mean like then then um there'd be somebody that would see them maybe they'd disappear but he's sort of forced to get knowledge on his own like in this kind of solitary way and if you just watch it like it's kind of like what i feel at the core just like kind of being a thing totally alone Mm. you know which is uh, when he goes through he's like doing his thing he's like i'm riding my bike i'm playing i'm doing like a normal kid thing but it is kind of like there's there's no one around not Mm. to help me or hurt me but just to to know like there's no one else to know and it's it's the same kind of feeling wow do you do you remember the circumstances of writing that poem oh this poem well yeah so um it you know i was it's funny because the time that that person yelled at me for being so loud i was like i'd fuck ellen degeneres which i'm not really interested in ellen degeneres i kind of think she seems mean and but i in that remember in that moment because that was the moment they came over and was like you know don't don't do that why are you positively saying that so that's why i put her in the poem Uh because it was like part of it but it was also it kind of relates to art said because there was this summer that I was like a painting and drawing teacher and it was like the best thing ever because somebody was like you can you know teach painting and drawing which I had no right doing Mm. um to like you know they were like preschool through fifth graders or something but um there were other it was like an art center outside of Boston and so there were teachers in other disciplines like there was like a theater person a dance person like a pottery person and we when we would eat lunch we would play kill Mary fuck so I kind of wrote the poem for them Mm. you know because it was like this endless thing and that's the great thing about like the form is like you can be like I used to do this with my friend like I mean this is awful but if you're sitting in the park you know there's three people come by you can use them you can use like that plant this plant and that's like the really funny thing is like using inanimate objects or whatever (laughs) and this book is this is milk the first book you wrote since your kids were born or did you yeah 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 because I was pregnant when this came out when so when Rome came out you were pregnant but you hadn't yeah but I hadn't I didn't write it while I was right right yeah yeah right it was done but you know long before I got pregnant 
And, you know, I've read all of your books um, with Thank much you, delight. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they have a lot. Um, you have a very strong and consistent voice, but I do feel like there's something different in milk. And, Thank you, you know, yeah. I don't want to. better. I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I don't want to be like essentialist about this. Yeah. And I get in trouble for this sometimes. But. You know, I've spent a lot of time trying to think about whether there is such a thing as a poetics of motherhood. And I guess one of the things I love about the poem that you just read is that it 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 is um, such a uh, incredible example of like associational thinking, which is present in your other work as well. But there also feels to me something um, so fluid and inclusive and uh, messy and uh, um, a kind of I all I can think of um, like an association for me um, is certain moments of motherhood particularly early motherhood of like sitting and nursing and just looking and seeing all the things on the floor and you know or all the things around me and like taking note of those and and kind of putting them you know in my mind and not being able to move really but it's not the kind of not being able to move where you're like trapped you're but you are a little bit trapped and 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 there's something to me about the form of that poem and the the way it moves that to me feels very reminiscent of the physicality and like the and this and the kind of thought process of motherhood it doesn't mean that someone who's not a mother couldn't write that way or doesn't write that way or someone yeah. who's a father but i don't know i don't know if you have feelings about about that way of of reading this book yeah it's interesting because i um there there's some place like where they um wanted to do an interview or whatever and they put the questions in a google doc and so one of the links that they had was an interview you did oh. like from 2009 with um, Sarah Manguso and so uh, when they asked me the question I was like oh I better because I remember <laughs> it coming out but it but it didn't even occur to me to internalize it then so I was like oh I better read this interview so I can like answer this question so I did just read it oh wow and it's like interesting I mean related to that like because um, I, I mean and I feel embarrassed that I kind of barely I barely remember any conversation around this conversation but it but it just was like um this idea that it's like a boundary you know that it happens or it doesn't or something you know Mm -hmm. that like kind of like um yeah I'm trying not to sound essentialist either but you know that if you kind of go through life I mean ever since I was little I really wanted to have children you know like that and so I would like imagine they were there it just was like this source of power for me and I'm not saying it isn't powerful to not have them Mm -hmm. but but um so it's interesting this idea that like when the boundary is broken that 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 actually is inside of you or something like that 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 kind of potentially could change everything I don't know if that's true I guess but but I but I think it's possible you mm-hmm. know that it again I may be saying really problematic stuff but that it changed that there's something that happens in the brain that is kind of irreversible potentially and and bad good whatever you know mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't matter maybe it is scarier it does kind of it you know it does change your perspective on the body yeah I mean you can't ever think of the body the same I, I just feel like it's a kind of I, I, I'll never think of it 
in the same way you know bad or good or whatever it's not even it may be just like a lateral move it's not like i'm at a higher plane and i was at a, or i'm at a lower plane you know or whatever but but i think that it's like i encapsulating a different sense of cycles and that sort of thing that like couldn't help but inform yeah poems. right yeah i don't think it's yeah necessarily i mean there's so many well like bernadette mayer right right you know yeah about yeah. the idea of the poetics of motherhood. I don't, it's interesting though, because in that conversation it was about the choice to not and the choice to. And I was reading Sheila Hetty's book, which is amazing. I, and, yes, yeah, so I, I, I love, love that book. Yeah, and I think she's so brilliant. And mm-hmm. we actually had this email exchange just very like I thought it was intense you know and she's so brilliant but we didn't we didn't ha- it was interesting reading we didn't have this thing like one choose one not mm-hmm. it was just like that it was more it felt more like blend in her book it felt like not like an either or even though the whole thing is supposed to be either mm-hmm. or or you know like do you or do you not or something anyway I don't know what I'm saying or if this is well I think two, two 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 responses I mean one it's 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 so I can't, I can't fully articulate why it's so amazing to be in this moment right now in this room with you, but Aww. I think Thank you. Yeah. This, this might be like the most narcissistic thing, but there's certain things that you're saying that, <laughs> that I feel like I think <laughs> and I've thought about, and but only I can't like recognize them until you say them out loud. Oh, okay, yeah. So like one thought I was having was, I think it's so interesting how apologetic and nervous I feel about talking about motherhood yeah. at this moment. Yeah. And I think a lot of it comes from not ever wanting to hurt other mothers who mother differently or think about it differently and also definitely not hurt other women who um, chose not to be mothers, who wanted to be mothers yeah. and couldn't, um, or, or to... I mean, I think I even feel protective of men Um, and as if to say like, oh, well, this is my experience and it seems really meaningful and it seems like it has a huge effect on my life, like, you know, as much or more than living in New York. To, to rephrase the question in a way that might make both of us less nervous. Yeah. What is your experience of how and whether your work changed after you had kids? Yeah. Well, and I want to say, I feel the reason, yeah, because I have felt nervous too. And um, yeah, definitely have thought about that. And um, yeah, there's so many ways, yeah, to say more. But I think it is the reason we feel nervous. I mean, I hate to say it, is misogyny. I mean, I hate to bring that up. But that is, I mean, you know, all of that is just trapped trapped up in it i mean it's it's just or and larger just hate humans hating other humans but i think like when you just said what you said about um misogyny i almost burst into tears because i feel that you and i have had an experience that i both want to take responsibility for but i also want to recognize that i feel that there were people and forces in the world that were hurting me and that in the most strange and fucked up way um I ended up hurting you and I I just find I think that's a that's a microcosm of exactly what you're saying like there 
I find myself so, um, I'm trying so hard not to be ever pitted against other women, against other people, but particularly other women. And I feel this intense pressure somehow that that I sometimes I don't recognize it and then all of a sudden it's there and I see it happening of women being pitted against other women and I always forget that this is part of the way the patriarchy works and so you know if I can say say this thing which is to say (laughs) that you know I had been struggling so much with this question of um what I was allowed to say in poems and um, and being a good person or being a bad person. And it was like a, a, a true obsession. It is still. And we had an interaction and um, I was at a really terrible and vulnerable place. And you probably were, ha- you know, you were having your own issues. Yeah. Um, and we had an interaction and I put it in a poem and then I ran into you and I always wanted to be friends with you, but it had never, like the stars had never yeah, aligned. Not on purpose. No. I mean, just in that. Yeah. Right. Like it just like we, we sort of, I would see you and I was interested, but like somehow we just weren't in the same circle exactly. So then I, we shared a taxi at AWP. I don't even remember which one it was. Yeah. AWPs ago. Se- Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. Okay. I saw you, I was so happy to see you. And then for some reason, I thought that it would be appropriate somehow to say, oh, I just wrote this poem with you in it. And then you very nicely, I think my memory has said like, oh, you can send it to me. Yeah. And then I did. And, And then I was like, I was so stupid. And, well, I, and yeah, and, I don't think you should look at it that way. I mean, uh, yeah, no, it wasn't stupid. It, well, yeah. I learned yeah. something very profound. And that poem changed so many times. And I wrote about the experience and I and I wrote about like not naming you in any way or like whatever. And then some you wrote about it yeah I did I put it in there yeah Yeah. well I did that just to (laughs) I did that as like an offering actually because you know I thought I thought you would see that as a sign of respect if you saw it you know in there yeah so were so were you did you just because I I definitely saw it and I you didn't name me no but I was like oh it's that's for sure me yeah I'm sorry if that was me no I just thought you would want that you would like that or something that that happened. Because you have talked about that. Yes. That, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I guess. But I didn't know that you would see it. I mean, I wasn't going right. to. Yes. Yeah, and, you know, hope right. better make sure you check it out. <laughs> but I assumed you would get it. But can we say that this brain. exists? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Say, so say just, what it, it is it we're w- talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was okay. supposed to. But it's not about this interaction necessarily. No, it's but just it is about mentioned. motherhood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, because it was supposed that milk was supposed to be lots of actually because I keep wanting to write like hybrid stuff or like you know whatever that means. Um. So milk actually had a lot of prose in it, that you know with Joshua like decided to take out, and that was the last thing that was in it. And I really, really, really thought 
that it was going to be like milk. And then you would see that and say, why I'm said the essay and then the first poem. So for so long, in fact, I like tore myself up like, what do I do? Should it be in there? But I'm so glad that it has become like a supplemental thing because now it's like more of a secret or whatever, you know, that it exists. Right. So, OK, so let's describe. So so physically, when I received milk in the mail from Wave Press, who published it, it's like it's a it's a, it's a stapled um, kind of like almost looks like a pamphlet. But yeah. but it's um, so it's 15 pages and it's prose and um, it can, it accompanies milk. When you buy milk in the store, yeah, you wouldn't get you it. wouldn't get it. So you you would have to request it. You'd have from to Wave. get it from the website. Oh. And so I thought it would be some way, you know, yeah. Then it would like drum up business to Waves website if people were interested. But okay. I didn't really want it. That's a, I didn't want it to be like the, you know, on Amazon you would get it or something. It would be like a special kind of secret thing. Yeah. That not everyone would know about. Okay, so I love everything about this. I love the and way it looks. I just want to say Joshua and Heidi are part of that construct. I don't want to take credit. Right, you right. Know, like, oh, Dada, you're, you know, they are part of this conversation or whatever. Okay, so I love the way it looks. I love that it's like secret. I love, but that it's like also not secret. I love yeah, that it's, it's not, prose, yeah. that it's connected, but it's like not connected in another way. And then to read it and realize I was in it. <laughs> but I, I hope you're not mad about that. Well, so that's so interesting. Are you? So I'm you not. Are no, oh. I'm. I. I was. I. Mad is not a word at all. <laughs> I was Race. worried. Oh. That, you, that it meant anger. that, you, no, <laughs> I was really scared that it meant that you were still mad at me. Yeah. And I was like, I could have saved her so much time because I have spent, so, like, I talked about this in therapy. Like, I'm I so really, sorry. I was like, I have to make amends <laughs> with Dottie. And I, I was, I was like. I thought we would maybe in Arizona or something. Me yes. too. Yeah, but, th but, then it, but then I did think I would at the weekend thing. In the what in the Berkshires, you know, yeah. I thought me I did too. Think we would talk I was. About, yeah. I, I'm constantly. I'm constantly ready to make amends. And then every opportunity when I see you, I have this feeling of like, oh my God, is it my? Can I? Can I? Can I apologize finally? Can I yeah. talk about it? And then when I saw it and why I am sad. I was yeah, like, oh, <laughs> oh my God. But, but I wouldn't think, but you saw, you didn't think that it was just you. No. Because you saw the other frame of the guy. I want to apologize because I used you as a foil. So I made you more caricature. But that's what I did to you. So, yeah, but I mean, I feel, you know, I do feel bad if it, yeah, you read, but, and that you would think it was like the whole impetus or whatever, but it was, what's interesting, it was like with the poem, I, because yeah. I was always like an outcast or whatever, and always think people are hating me or, you know, just feel rejected. I did think of the poem as like a mean girl thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I did see that as like, oh, this person thinks I'm ridiculous, whatever. Whereas if you had just read it, maybe I wouldn't have necessarily saw it, you know, as myself, but it felt so, but then I knew that was part of your thing to, but so, and then I didn't really know what to say because we, you know, weren't friends. So yeah, so I couldn't say anything about that, but that, but really the point that, um, that I thought a lot about was the pet thing. Yeah. Because, because, because when I said, yeah, my dog is dying, I didn't know, you know, you had human death, but also, um, because I really did consider, um, my dog, my daughter, 
you know, and, and now there are moments where I'm like, that's really ridiculous that I would think that, but not because I am kind of like an animal love. You know, I'm like, a, am trying to be vegan, whatever. I mean, not doing great all the time, but I do tend to kind of have this animal shtick or what, not a shtick, but you know, like an animal yeah. thing. So like it was kind of that part that I thought a lot about because I just thought about life and and like, you know, dogs and cats and yeah, just this idea that they are friends or companions or family members in this way that I want that like, yeah, because I had my dog for like 15 and a half years and I had gotten her from the pound. So it was like I re my love for her, you know, surpassed everything else. It was like a it was like that was the thing I was like, um, yeah, like almost like a maternal protection for her, which I know is hard to understand no. if you don't have a, you know, a dog. It right. Is, it, it does elicit really strong maternal instincts, you know. And, and I think, so I'm going to give a little bit of context, um, and maybe I'll read the, the very, very much revised poem on the patron extras. But, but basically, and I could be getting some of the details wrong, because this happened a long time ago, but my, my mother passed away in this like super traumatic way, and the, one of the things that was happening to me at, right afterwards was that I really felt like I'd killed her, and I really felt like yeah. a terrible person. And so one of the first things that I did that wasn't about cleaning out her home and, and throwing these memorial services for her and like just being in this like real horrible, you know, traumatized grief was to go hear you um, uh, give one of your lectures. And, you know, there's all this other important stuff about, about this moment that happened between us because of the six Bagley Wright lecturers, we're the only two women. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I hope we can talk about it a little bit, but like for me, writing those lectures was an enormously wonderful opportunity and also one of the most stressful and horrible things that I've ever done <laughs> yeah. in my life. So I think, you know, I think I went, I wanted to be passive, I wanted to be invisible, I wanted to not think about my mom, I wanted to just listen, but I think I also was. I was jealous that you had yeah. something because I was like, I'm never going to be able to do this. Yeah. And I was jealous that you seemed alive and like, you know, okay. I mean, who, you know, don't, as my friend Aaron says, don't compare your insides to someone else's outside. Yeah, because I definitely, yeah. I mean, that's a thing. Anyway, that's another conversation. Okay. But I do, yeah, being a frustrated actress, I do have a public, you know, perf I have a, I have ability like, if everything could be going to shit and I can like try to snap it together, not every right. single and you moment. had to perform yeah. you were you you know of course like so uh, so and then afterwards um you know there were all sorts of like I just was so fragile and brittle yeah. and awful and I felt terrible about myself and I've always felt that it is one of my many and greatest failings that I haven't oh. had relationships with animals oh yeah I feel yeah. like this makes me like a really fucked up person that I don't have that. So, okay. So anyway, you told me that your dog was really ill or had, had, was really she ill. She had bladder cancer. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, it was and, like, and this, I didn't, yeah. Anyway, I think yeah. that in the moment I, and I did feel, I mean, I, you're not the first person I, I care very yeah. much about who cares very much about their yeah. animals. Yeah. Like I, I know it's like a real deep thing. 
even if I can't fully, if I haven't experienced it, I absolutely have like deep respect for it and only feel like, oh my God, I'm bad. But in that moment, I had this really ugly feeling, which yeah. was that How what I, what you I know. wanted to say was, I don't care. Yeah. And I think, and the poem was a way of trying to say that I was coming out of a silence. I felt that the only way I could live and it was a kind of penance was to never write another poem to never say anything or like really do anything ever again because I had hurt my mother so much and um, it was the first poem I wrote into that silence yeah. and I was really aware of the fact that it was something mean that I wanted to say but didn't say yeah. or that I felt that was that broke the silence for me and I felt really because the, the poem was called like dear poet thank you yeah so it was like actually the, the last, yeah so thank you was like the last line. right yeah. and it was like that but but I understand that okay that may have been like I I was actually sincerely grateful to have the silence broken I also thought that I was being clear about like my own ugliness and my own like how fucked up is it that like the oh now I'm gonna say something and it's gonna say be mean um but when I took you know some steps away from the the interaction and like particularly showing it to you and I don't think you would have ever known it was you if I yeah, hadn't or I, I could have but I mean yeah I wouldn't have it wouldn't have um I think whatever, I thought I yeah. was gonna it was gonna start our friendship yeah yeah how it crazy would start a is conversation that or you know whatever yeah well I mean I don't think it's crazy I just think yeah if I was more but I but I am a very distrustful person and I think it is related to this especially because I feel and this connects to the old older women I'm sorry you know whatever yeah I'm um, telling me to keep my voice down I tend to kind of be distressed distressful of all people but I'm I think I felt you know very much rejected with female friendship so it was like you know me was too. not gonna yeah help you know the situation or whatever that yeah that was like you know that that just felt like um the yeah female friendship stuff oh, I'm so sorry <laughs> I'm uh, yeah. so sorry what yeah. I said and what I did was inappropriate and unhelpful and that yeah. is it was no, really no, a mistake but I think it is yeah what is productive and not I mean I don't I don't wouldn't want to say it's inappropriate I mean it's, well thank yeah. you for giving yeah. me another chance yeah <laughs> <laughs> really yeah, yeah. really because no, yeah. I didn't get another chance with other people that I've hurt yeah well and that's I mean I have a tendency yeah just to like because I have a Scorpio moon you know like if if it seems like yeah somebody is attacking me I'm just like just it's just ruthless like psh, you know just cut out or whatever just like it's like militaristic kind of like yeah well, well you I'll blocked just cut me you on out. Twitter yeah. well I was just like oh this person doesn't like I me know. so it's like that's off. how I it's found like, out that cut. you were upset yeah just I was cut. like this is so weird Why yeah just Scorpio I? moon you know stuff or whatever yeah it's like this person's gonna hurt me so I'll protect myself or whatever and yeah just like a self-protective but but it is I mean there's yeah but I do definitely it goes away I just you know it's like um well it yeah, stayed I just knew with I you 
in, enough yeah. to have me be a foil, yeah. let's say. I hope you're not mad about no, that. No, I'm not mad at all. I hope that guy isn't mad. Well, who cares about him? That's in the main one in there or something. Right. Yeah. Right. But so, so, okay. So, okay. Pause for one second. I have exactly 15 minutes okay, left. Yeah. Okay. So I'm still interested in talking about why I am sad yeah. and its relationship to milk. Yes, um, yes, yes. I, the first question I was going to ask you was about astrology. Um, I would love to hear um, how the lectures are going and what's happening with those and like what you're writing about about those and what you're working on now. So... I don't know. What what should we... Yeah, I mean, any of it. I mean, I well, I was thinking, I mean, I'd love to talk more about the poetics of motherhood, but I don't know that it's like that much, you know, more to talk about or whatever. I mean, because I just think, I think there's something about the book, thinking about it, working into, you know, like some, you know, some of your work and other people, you know, Bernadette Mayer, who I love, or Alice Notley, that, um, that, that I think for me... Um, like uh motherhood fit into like the actual you know having a baby especially how it happened um you know where she was born early and i i guess now that i i've you know with my son or whatever that the doctor i had with him was like you probably had a placental abruption like that all signs you know seem to point to that but there was like you know obviously something wrong and no one kind of listened to me and then it and then when it happened it was so you know scary it was such a such a scary um moment and then like there were you know a long time she was in the NICU and I think that's um you know part of the reason I was like wanting to write the book also is because when she was in the NICU I felt that my narrative didn't fit into motherhood which I think relates to thinking about animals or whatever care you know caring for people in general where it was um it just felt like there weren't you know let alone texts or people i and i think there was something you know so isolating about being in this space because um she was so immunocompromised that actually i saw a baby die you know from somebody giving her a cold like the grandma came in with a cold they're like don't come in here don't get near her and she was like it'll be fine it's just a cold so it was like um that kind of it you know fed into like an ocd tendency anyway to like that germs were literally going to kill these babies my baby whatever so it just led me to kind of isolate myself more which is sort of like it just made a frame of motherhood where all the kind of narratives of it seemed even more bs you know Mm -hmm. what i mean it just kind of all seems interconnected to our conversation or whatever and in the and in the NICU there was like a picture book that one of some mother had made that was um like obvious maybe she was a photographer maybe she i I think she probably made it like through Apple books or, you know, and it was like a a narrative of her baby, you know, learning how to suck or learning how to breathe on its own or, you know, gaining weight because there's like all the steps to that they can leave. Like they have to have a certain weight. They have to obviously, well, some leave with oxygen. But anyway, you know, there's certain things that they have to do. And then the last picture was like, and he's this big. I wonder how big he is today. And just reading that kind of like was like, okay, this baby did this. This is like a process too. This is like the will to live is um, is there. And so like if I kind of um, believe in that, then it'll be helpful. And, you know, 
I mean, there's like so much more I could say because it's like the culture of mothers in the NICU, all that stuff, like all the kind of frames of motherhood. So I think that that's the thing is I wanted the book to be part of that conversation, but not be about like, ooh, it's like baby showers or what, you know, or whatever. Just like the kind of deep, um, like irony of life because actually I had her the day I had my baby shower so I never went so and and you know like in Judaism it's bad luck to have a baby shower before um but I so like fed into every um every kind of like sort of bad vibe that whatever that Mm -hmm. that could be there anyway I don't know if this is addressing what you're saying absolutely and I think it's totally related and and I not to make it about me but I think you know the Milk has has um, some overlap with um, Brenda Shaughnessy's book mm-hmm. *Our Andromeda* in in the way in which it, you know, it 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 call it brings into the frame um, really unhelpful and damaging and hurtful responses um, yeah. that people make um, intentionally or unintentionally, and I think that, you know, it's been so humbling for me to think about my birth activism and my teaching and my mothering and being a doula and, and like everything I believe in has always been, I've intended to be about not isolating people, um, not doing damage, not doing harm, thinking about how, where, other people's experience and trying to meet them there, trying to be, you know, uh, non-judgmental and loving. And I, in the process of trying to do all those things, I've often done the opposite or I've, I've been a part of, um, perpetuating a kind of, uh, image of motherhood that ends up leaving some mothers feeling really outside of it and really bad about about themselves when from the beginning I mean I think my primary feelings as a mother early on was like what the fuck no one told me it was going to be like this it's it's interesting to see how uh, my own very difficult scary second birth which I thought I was writing about uh, in a way to enlarge the conversation and talk about like this is not happy yeah. baby shower type of situation yeah. here actually ended up hurting people in certain ways um, so I think it is very much a part of the conversation yeah. um, and I mean I guess it goes back again <laughs> to the restaurant like you know yeah. I don't think I, I've never read something that you've written that I thought this is inappropriate. Now I can't eat or something, you know? Yeah. No, <laughs> it's is, like yeah. now I feel seen. Now yeah. I feel like someone's being honest. Now I feel like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess, I guess the question to go back to a question instead of just like blah, blah, blah is, um, and I can and I can answer the other stuff. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah. No, but I don't even remember. No, this question is important. Okay. Yeah. You know, sometimes people ask the Some people think that like poets write poetry to feel better. Yeah. 
But yeah. But (laughs) that doesn't really work. But I do want to ask if there is um, some healing or some feeling of integration or understanding that came with uh, writing and publishing this book that is that puts your own experience uh, into the world uh, and especially when it, it seems like so much of that experience in the moment was so isolating and um, you know terrifying and then like for so many for social reasons for physical reasons for you know psychological reasons it you were you were really isolated and 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 afraid so to have the book be published and to be public and to, I mean, you're not in this stage anymore, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I feel that it's made it worse. <laughs> oh, interesting. No, no. I mean, definitely, yeah, not, couldn't possibly be in that, you know, space in everyday life or something. And I don't, I think it's made me even more feeling, I don't know how to say, you know, like, um, there's some optimism left in Rome or something like that. I feel, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like a total obsession thing, but I feel like the frame, I mean, and that was like on purpose because I know that when people think about ancient Rome, they're like, you know, well, everything we're talking about, that's like a symbol that you're learned in some way that you even know that kind of, you can even have that conversation or, or this idea of like a kind of armor or whatever, even if it's seemingly laying bear all your ideas there's still something where there is like the cerebral academic frame like totally I mean it was meant to be funny but it is also totally there like the fighter or something so I think that like I I wouldn't ever consider that like milk is like laying bare anything but I think it is kind of like what happens as a person goes through life, you know, they just by necessity unravel. That's the most positive outcome. You know, I mean, I think because I'm very anti-death. I mean, I mean, I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I know it has happened. We shouldn't be scared of it, but I'm not like, a, I'm not like into death. I like, I kind of like don't want it to happen ever. I'm, you know, what I don't want to say, I won't say I'm pro-life because that means something else yeah. but you know like You're I like the, life. I like the new thing yeah. you know even, and if it's old I like things going on I just think there's like value I don't like yeah to throw anything away anyway so it's like um I think that that's a thing it's like there's a progression to it which in some ways makes me feel even more like Danny kind of going through the hallways with no witness I know mm. that's it may seem yeah weird because obviously it's you know somebody could buy it but it still feels like I'm uh it feels even more so like I'm saying it into like this chamber where no one else is there Mm. I don't know yeah why but that's but um but I know enough like I know rationally that that's not true and that like hopefully it will be a source of solace to the right person you Mm -hmm. know right people and and that it will like bring something you know, to a situation. I feel like, I feel like more than the other books, it's um, written to the future. I mean, I always feel like I'm writing to the future, but it feels like this book, just in this moment, how I feel that it's not writing um, to now. It's like writing, hopefully, you know, hopefully it'll stay around and, you know, whatever, that it's writing to many, many years from now. I would hope. I mean, that sounds whatever, Mm -hmm. egotistical, but that it would stay around. But I do just have this feeling like it's too future people did do you feel like writing it or working on it hurt 
re-hurt you. Re-hurt you is not a word. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> what, I don't know. What I, like, sometimes with Plath, I feel like she, she went back to, you know, really tough places in ways that were really powerful and important and vulnerable, but she sort of re-traumatized herself. And so I wonder, did it feel like that with this book? No, not necessarily re-traumatized, just more just kind of feeling of an unraveling of life, Mm. you know, like a narrowing of possibilities and just like a kind of more on the path. Um, But but there's a solidity to be on, like maybe... Not that I'm on the wrong path, but just more like I'm on more on the path. You know, like if you're choosing which path and now I'm just like re- I'm so f- I'm getting farther on the path where it might be harder to go into another path of writing. I don't right. know if that makes sense, but maybe I'm more closer to where my voice should end up. So that's like a good thing. But it just feels more like like a narrowing of that possibility. I don't know how to describe that. I think also because I wanted more prose and um, like I'm I'm am happy with everything about it. But I think I will be really happy if I were to write like a prose, whatever that looks like, prose book, which could be our lecture book. I don't know that it's going to be that, but I think that's like the yeah goal is that there would be like I could really write in prose. I think I would feel like, OK, I'm on this. Maybe I went and looked at some flowers on the path. You know, it just it feels like prose feels like this possibility. Yeah, because a, a lecture book probably changed us. I mean, yes. and that was like the gift of it. I mean, that's the thing. It probably did. To- it did totally um, change me, especially because I had just written a dissertation in prose right. in the most in the hardest kind of writing I've ever did, because it's like just asking my brain to do something it has no business doing anyway. So then to do the lecture book, it did just like instill this like prose muscle, you know, for I think for me and for you, just the act of having to do it you totally like, totally changes poetry for us kind of made way. me hate poetry a little <laughs> bit. yeah no it well it just made me feel like I always feel like I want to like push myself yes and like I want to push the poetry I don't just want to like do the same thing I think that's what I find most depressing and isolating is the idea that I'd just be doing this thing over and over I just don't okay, want to so wait, what are you working on now that's oh, okay. the last question okay so yeah and and not to, to create any anxiety about the lecture book but yeah. I did j- just turn well okay I've had a me draft too. for me a long too. time it's okay yeah. yeah so I there is a draft yeah that like you know is maybe closer to what it would be awesome and but then I really wanted the lecture book to be huge with like 10 lectures so I had been collecting you know like um like things to do essays on and I have kind of written like a page of some of them whatever so that's like I keep saying oh this summer I'll do it but that's like the main thing I really want to do is write like a book of essays I have no idea if that'll happen and are you gonna I, wait are you are you do you think you're gonna put the essays in with the lectures and have no. one big book so you're gonna do so you're i want to do, do something else. Yeah, yeah 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 and also i mean i say this all the time and i mean not you know not to you or whatever but i really want to publish my dissertation but now there's so many years i don't know if it's possible but by the fall i'm absolutely gonna send off like an article or whatever okay. again like that that would be like if i what could, is your dissertation it's on, on um what's well, on creativity uh-huh. it's on this idea of like small c creativity um so like um it's just that it's the einstein thing like that you know even teachers that love um the idea of creativity they're supportive and they want to support it in their students they might look at their classroom and say that's the creative one 
um, that person is like the one I'm supposed to support when really like teachers should foster small C creativity or everyday creativity in people because um, small C creativity is just like what everybody does like you tie your shoe a certain way you kind of innovate and that's like um, I don't want to use the word innovate because that's different but you know you do it like your own particular way and that's like a positive thing because someday you may develop new shoelaces we just don't know what you're going to do that's like small no large C creativity and that large C creativity is like what Einstein did you know he changed the field or whatever no large C can happen without small C so like as teachers we have to foster small C in classes anyway sorry yeah but okay, that's what I would like to write wants to publish Dottie's <laughs> dissertation please I don't contact. know that they, yeah or just yeah I could I could change it whatever you know I just want to do more research that's the thing I really want to work on I want to get back and do educational research but it's its own thing like you need money because you have to pay people to do it you know what I mean you because you can't possibly do it completely on your own I guess you could you know what I mean because it's not totally objective and stuff anyway Okay, speaking of money yeah. and paying people to do something <laughs> we have to end because yeah. the babysitter <laughs> Um, this has been a total delight. Thank, Thank you. you. This so has been such a delight. Much. I hope, yeah. I have five I hope hours I didn't fuck things. this up. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Dottie. It's like you well, started like... an end with an apology. I know, yeah. And I'm also sorry for talking too loud, but I don't think I did. No, you were Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't talk too that loud in like a normal thing. This has been episode 57 of Commonplace with Dorothea Lasky. I'm Rachel Zucker. This episode was produced by myself, Christine LaRusso, Nicholas Fuenzalita, and Mira El Rahim, with help from Becca Di Gregorio. Our advisor in all things is Daniel Schiffman. Our music was written and performed by Moses Zucker Gorin. Many thanks to the presses who send us books, especially for this episode, Wave Books, W.W. Norton, and Argos Books. Thank you to our patrons, and thank you, listener. Thank you for listening. Thank you.